0: Of you, welcome. New digs, really cool. Great to be here last night to speak uh, about Lone Prairie Camp and to be in this church where God has been working, and I'm always excited about that. I am a, an Alberta boy, born in Three Hills, Alberta. My wife Ramona moved in next door to me in tenth grade. I made it my life Bible verse to love my neighbor as myself, and uh, she is here with me, and she's doing great. I mentioned some of her uh, trouble with seizures in the first service and neglected to tell you that God has really healed her and thanks to a, a medical doctor as well who's been doing a great job and she's doing very well. And I'm just grateful this morning. Aren't you? Do we have a lot to be thankful for? Thankful for kids. How many have seen one today? Yes. Here's what they've been learning in Sunday school. Sunday school, according to kids, the first commandment was when Eve told Adam to eat the apple. It's the first commandment. Noah's wife was called Joan of Arc, a little guy said. That's pretty good. Solomon had 700 wives and 200 porcupines. A man should have only one wife. This is called monotony. Lot's wife was a pillar of salt by day, but a ball of fire by night, a little guy said. The greatest miracle in the Bible was when Joshua asked his son to stand still, and he obeyed him. Maybe you felt the same if you're a parent. Little kids were asked why God made mothers. One said she's the only one who knows where the scotch tape is. What kind of little girl was your mom? I don't know because I wasn't there, but my guess would be pretty bossy. What did your mom need to know about your dad before she married him? Good question. Little guy said she had to know his his background. Like, is he a crook? Does he get drunk? Does he make at least $800 a year? (laughs) Did he say no to drugs and yes to chores? There's a good guy. Why did your mom marry your dad? My mom makes the best spaghetti in the world, and my mom, or my dad makes the best spaghetti in the world, and my mom eats a lot. (laughs) What's the difference between moms and dads? Moms know how to talk to teachers without scaring them. (laughs) What would it take to make your mom perfect? little girl said, on the inside, she's already perfect. Outside, I think some kind of plastic surgery. (laughs) Kids, ah, yeah. I mentioned in the first service that Canadians were asked recently about the number one thing they'd like the church to help them with By far, their choice was, help us build better families. So we pray, and the pastoral team has been praying, we pray that you'll be able to take the truths taught here this morning and use them immediately, right today. Sadly, we are not getting the answers that we need in a culture that is moving so far from God. And the many voices around us are not encouraging what you're going to hear this morning. But I think it can make all the difference in your family. I'm praying that you'll be encouraged and built up. Some of us have regrets. I don't know. If you're a parent, you just sometimes wake up with regrets. (laughs) They're just kind of on the pillow beside you. That's the way it is. (coughs) But we can't turn the clock back. However, we can wind it up again. (coughs) Some of you say, kids? I came to church. I didn't really want to hear about kids. I don't even like kids. I'm with you, okay? (laughs) When I started out, I got married. I didn't want to have children, not at all. I had been near children, I found them disgusting. I don't want to show anyone show your hands this morning if you have felt the same thing. But I <laughs> I remember eating with my brother Dan's children and I thought they are completely disgusting. Have you ever felt that way? <laughs> I watched my 1-year-old nephew eat on Thanksgiving day. He pushed peas up his nose, corn down his diapers. And then he blew things out of his nose, and he wanted a kiss. <laughs> he did. And his mother gave him a kiss. <coughs> I th- I have never gotten completely over that. That was just horrible. I was sleeping off a turkey hangover that afternoon on the sofa. My one-year-old nephew waddled into the room, I was told, later, with his very own diaper on his body, and he removed it. This diaper was at maximum capacity. The box said could hold up to 20 pounds. <laughs> it was very near full. <coughs> he removed that, and he brought it to rest ka- boom, upon my forehead. I sat up knowing only one thing. I will have children just as soon as cows produce root beer. <laughs> and I kept that vow intact. until The night my wonderful wife stood before me in some rather expensive lingerie and said, honey, let's have children, tons of them. And it seemed like a great idea at the time. (coughs) I hope that's not your story either, is it? It was six months later that I found myself in something called prenatal class. Do they have that here? Huh? I'm sorry to hear that. It's, It's a ridiculous thing that you go to as men with your wives. You go, they teach you how to breathe there. Lamaze, they call it. I was 25 years of age learning how to breathe. What's wrong with that picture? And the lady, the instructor, hands me a tennis ball here. Here, she says, rub her back with this in the delivery room. It will provide peace and serenity, a sense of oneness with each other in the universe. I thought, it's a tennis ball. Come on. Solomon never went to prenatal class, did he? May thirty-first, 1986 was a Saturday. My friends were out playing softball that day. I was not. I was pacing a hospital hallway with my wife. Or at least I think this was my wife, but this woman had changed. This woman was more like Attila the Hun in a hospital gown. She turned to me. She said, rub my back. And I grabbed the tennis ball. She said, don't touch me. (laughs) And that continued for about 12 years. (laughs) Or at least until she brought me face to face with the very first miracle I had ever witnessed. My firstborn son. I held this little guy in my arms. He was purple. He was wrinkly. You couldn't blame him. But he had all the stuff. He had five fingers on each hand and five toes on each foot. His eyes were blue like mine. He had hair. (laughs) Wow. Stephen said my wife passed the widest smile I'd ever seen on her face. Something happened then. Call it a miracle, call it a revival. It was like somebody just smacked me upside the head and said, Calloway, for the first 25 years of your life, you have been a hypocrite. You have been close to the church, but very far from God. And you're holding in your arms the one little guy you're not going to be able to hide it from. If you think he won't learn from what he sees, you are naive. You'd better think again. I remember the time a guy said to me, Calloway, you're you're a Christian. He said, when did you become a Christian? And I said, May thirty first, 1986. You see, that night for the first time in my life, I went home and I knelt by an empty bed in an empty house and I just prayed a simple prayer. I said, God, make me real. I want my precious little boy to hunger and thirst after Jesus. I want him to love Jesus with everything he's got. And if he won't learn to from me, he's got two strikes against him already. And I meant every word of that prayer. It has been slow going sometimes. They call me a child-rearing expert. I don't feel that way at all, because I'm telling you, sometimes life is crazy at our house, as you're going to experience in a few minutes. You know, I I remember the night I was, uh, Steve was three. I was rocking him, desperately trying to get him to sleep on the rocking chair. It was late. This little guy looks up at me and says, Dad, I want to be like you. I don't have all the child-rearing answers in the world, but I do know this. If we want the next generation to hunger after righteousness, we need to be hungry. If we want them to make a difference in this world, we need to start. We need to model that. And if we want our lives to be changed forever, you younger people, you know, have children, tons of them. Just be careful with that lingerie. That is an unfair advantage. My prayer that night was a prayer of desperation to God, recommitting myself to Him, and it all begins here, because we realize, as grandparents, too, that this job is too big for us, don't we? Two nights ago, I prayed beside the bed at little Seth, our grandboy, and I just, I'm sorry, I'm not that big of a wimp, I don't think, but I just, I started to cry, overwhelmed by the darkness. There this sleeping child is. And I think of the hope that a child brings into the world. It's an amazing theme of Scripture, isn't it? And it all begins here with that prayer. My favorite prayer has been help, followed by thanks, and followed by awesome. So let that be the background to what I have to say that th- this morning. You know, it doesn't always feel awesome. We had three children in three years. Has anyone done better than that, by the way? Anyone? Yeah, How many? Three in a year and a half. Okay, that was a miracle. <laughs> I suspect it involved twins or something. Am I right? No? No. Okay. All right. Oh, God bless you guys. Well, and you were still able to raise your hand. I noticed your wife wasn't. Uh, oh, you did. Okay, I'm sorry. I missed that. All right. Beautiful. Well, someone said to me, what's it like to have three kids in three years? And I said, well, we are far more satisfied than the guy who has $3 million. How so? Well, the guy with $3 million wants more. <laughs> <laughs> ah, we love these kids. Yeah. But, you know, they, they they grow up a little bit, and you send them off to school. And then, of course, they send them back because they're only two, and so you have to wait longer. <coughs> and then you're finally able to allow them to go to school. And, and they come home, and they say, uh, you say, what did you learn today? Have you done this? What do they say? Nothing. They're learning nothing in Edmonton as well. And then they bring home the report cards. We find out they are not lying. It's stunning how little kids are learning at, at school. I, I want to show you just a few pictures of our children so you know what they look like. Uh, here's uh, here's our kids when they were small, uh, the three of them. Oops, there. <laughs> Actually, no. Okay. Uh, But here's our son who started swine flu. I don't know if you knew that, but that's him. (laughs) This is my wife driving in the winter. Yeah. But there we are on our 25th wedding anniversary. Man, that's 11 years ago. Can't believe it. I had hair at that time. Actually, a a friend put that hair on my head. Do you know that? With Photoshop. Photoshop and gave me one of my wife's earrings. So there I am. I was bald as could be back then. But yeah, important that you know I uh, I I don't have trouble growing hair, but location is everything with hair, (laughs) isn't it? It's growing in the weirdest places. I am like a struggling oil company. I have great production, but poor distribution. (laughs) That's the way it is. Oh, yeah. And here are our kids. Seriously, there they are when they were small. Ah, kids, isn't it great? This morning, I want to tell you some stories and some secrets to help you bring joy and hope and God-honoring habits to your life and your home, whether you're a mom, whether you're a dad, an aunt, an uncle, a child, a student, a teen, wherever you are in life, this is for you, okay? I, um have been blown away by the response to Laugh Again Radio, which started basically here in Edmonton. I mean, it started uh, in Canada, across the country, and uh, the first meeting when we got together to pray about this happened in Edmonton. The dream was born here, and God has been using it in such amazing ways. I am so thankful. I get uh, remarkable responses, and yet I sometimes hear from people who are cranky. Anyone here just a little bit cranky today? Huh? How many have met a cranky person? (laughs) Two of you, okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Someone I met this morning just raised their hand. Yeah, yeah. I had a letter from a lady. She was so mad at me, she wrote me three pages fine, beautiful. I'm, I'm going to frame it. It's gorgeous. But she's a single gal, and I had told a joke about single a, a single lady who, who passed away, and she specified that at her funeral there'd be no male pallbearers. They wouldn't take me out when I was alive. I don't want them taking me out when I'm dead, <coughs> which I thought was funny. Don't you? But it's humor. It's just not easy. It's, it's, people just take you. I told about a little girl named Chrissy sitting on Grandpa's knee. Grandpa making noise like a frog. She said, "Why?" She said, "Because Daddy said that when you croak, we can all go to Disneyland." <laughs> if you want to get laugh again, come by the book table and sign up there for free, and you can get it in, in your phone and wherever you like to listen to such things. I want to give you this morning some keys to this uh, to parenting. Are, are, are anyone taking notes? Not. Not a single solitary soul? Okay. All right. Keeping it all up here. Are we okay? If you would like some resources, this book, I Used to Have Answers, Now I Have Kids, is out there. Uh, Making Life Rich Without Any Money is another one. Um, let me see. Laughing Matters is um, dealing with difficulty in, in our lives. Huntington's disease and epilepsy has been the deal for us that's been very difficult. Different DVDs. Family Squeeze is as well is a lot about what I'm telling This morning, there's uh, books on dogs, there's books for kids, there's books for gerbils. No, there aren't. Um, Lots of different things back there. If you're able to stop by, feel free to do that. Pick up a copy of Servant Magazine. That's free as well. First thing to remember, I want you to say it back to me, is simply this. The fruit of the Spirit is not prunes. Do I get an amen on that? I was speaking at a marriage event where down near the front was a lovely young couple. Uh, She was laughing at all my jokes, a very brilliant woman, I thought. But her husband would not laugh at a thing I had to say. He just was staring at me like this. He looked so sour. He looked like he could suck buttons off a sofa. I tried over and over to help him laugh. He would not. Finally, afterwards, his wife came up to me. She shook my hand. She said, Phil, I just want to thank you. I have not seen my husband laugh this hard in years. I don't know his story. <coughs> but sometimes we need to just realize that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Galatians 5, and 23 teach us that the Holy Spirit produces that kind of fruit in our life. Here's what it looks like. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When we center our homes on Jesus Christ, Our homes are not going to be sour, unhappy places. Yes, there will be struggles still, of course. But our children will want to be there when the Holy Spirit is producing that in our lives and in our homes. I didn't say they're going to be perfect places, but the Holy Spirit of God will be there producing love, joy, peace, even laughter. Laughter? You say laughter? Yeah. When our kids were small, We held them in our arms. We prayed they'd stop screaming and sleep through the night. Some of you are still at that stage. And then they got to be teenagers. We couldn't get them to wake up. Right? Do you have a teenager, somebody? I mean, man, they are in the prime sleeping years of their lives, aren't they? It's unbelievable. Man, our son Jeff went off to Bible camp one summer, came home, slept a full 23 hours in a row. Weary from memorizing Bible verses, I'm sure. I said to my wife, that's not sleeping. That's a coma. That's what that is. And they loved to eat. When they were small, we begged them to finish their peas, remember? Oh, yeah, finish. You can do it. And, 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 and they usually often, well, they wouldn't most of the time it seemed. They got to be teenagers. They finished their peas. They cleaned their plate. They cleaned our plate. <laughs> they went over the fridge. They cleaned it out, didn't they? The freezer, the pantry, everything but the dishwasher, they wouldn't touch it. <laughs> and then they look at the dog dish and go, how bad can that be? <laughs> In the hungry years of life. People used to ask me when we, had, when we had teens, what do you do? I said, I'll tell you what I do. I follow teenagers around the house. I shut lights off. <laughs> it's a full-time job. <laughs> Some of you are going like that. You know about it. But they're awesome years as well. They really are. I remember going down to the grocery store when our kids were just tiny, and we would wheel them into the, into the grocery store, three little kids in a cart. And other people would come over and look at us, and I'd try to switch carts with them. They didn't want our cart. Elderly people—I mean, probably in their forties—would <coughs> come over to us and they would they would say, "You think things are bad now? You just wait. Soon they're going to want to date and drive your car." And then they'd shuffle off to the Prune Brand Flake aisle, you know. <laughs> and our kids got to be teenagers. These people were back. <coughs> oh, they said it's going to get worse. You just wait. And I'd say, "I'm not going to wait. I'm going to enjoy what God gave me right now. It ain't perfect." But we're doing the best we can, and the truth was we had a blast during the teenage years, believe it or not. And the secrets are in some of these books. Your attitude, all kinds of things with your teens, more on them in a moment. But what a time of life. Our daughter, she loved to shop so much, she signed up for shop class. (laughs) (laughs) And we learned to laugh during those years. Here are the top ten things I would love to hear a teenager say. You have to say them with me. Here we go. There are our kids as teens. They got bigger. <laughs> Say these with me. Number one, 10. Who needs to eat out? Nice and loudly on number 9. Happens all the time to you, doesn't it? Number 7. Uh huh yeah number six number five new movies aren't cool whoop number four this is my room number three number two hey How many hear these things retru- routinely at your house? Yeah, And the number one thing I'd love to hear, whoa, it's 10 p.m., I bet I got a bed. Uh, our children need to see our joy. They do. That doesn't mean that we're grinning all the time. It means that we are looking for God at work, even in the tough times. Well, I don't know what helps you laugh. My wife's hair dryer sometimes helps me laugh. Warning label on the side not to be used while sleeping or in the shower. On a stroller, please please remove infant before folding for storage. Yeah, we got to laugh. Joy is one of the great themes all through the Bible. Soak yourself in the book of Philippians as a family. You will discover that the joy of the Lord is our strength, and it comes along in the most difficult of times. Here's an acronym for teens. Ready? Here we go. Many taking notes once again. Well, yeah, I like this. Kissed my teenager in public, huh? <laughs> Try laughter. Life gets deadly serious for a teen. Each zit is leprosy. Each magazine cover mocks them with what they'll never be. They're wondering whose rules to adopt, whose lifestyle to, to, to respect, and who on earth kidnapped their body and began ex- performing experiments on it. Everything is changing. Wholesome laughter is a testimony to our kids that it's going to be okay. God is bigger. He's bigger than than even this next exam, this next relational hiccup, this next bout with acne. Go ahead and laugh. A stifled laugh is going to back up on you and spread to your hips, so just let it go. Secondly, exercise flexibility. Exercise flexibility. Kids are small. There isn't so much of that. We are, you know, we establish rules and all, and we're very careful. Rigidity, though, is lethal when it comes to raising teens. If you expect or, or refuse them to flex, if you insist on everything remaining exactly as it was in their younger years, kids will often rebel. Good parents change and adapt and listen more than they lecture. We don't mind when our kids bring their friends over to their our house for a party. Are you kidding me? Bring them. That's fantastic. You know, I want them to party about 20 feet away. That's fantastic. You know, the music may be loud, but I'm old enough to be losing my hearing anyway. I love it when they would come in and just flop on our bed and tell us of their day. What a great thing. I could keep sleeping, but they could talk, you know. What What a great gift, yeah. Number three is just to encourage discernment. Never has a generation had more bad choices so close at hand. Is it true? From the time our kids were small, we taught them with question marks, big ones. We asked questions they would be asked in the big, bad world. We did it in a way that was fun and challenging. From politics to sex to alcohol to evolution, didn't matter. There was no topic they could not ask us about that we would not talk with them about. There is no safer place to think through the big issues of life than under the guidance of godly parents who love God's word and think that teenagers are the coolest thing since flared pants. There were times, friends, when we can say three beautiful words to our kids. I don't know. I don't know. It's okay to say that. And then to say, but I want to find out. Can we find out together? We can do that. Encourage discernment. Fourth, the end is... Nurture through affirmation. Kids are never too old to hear how much they are loved. For us to say, you the best, you the best. There are enough voices out there telling them they're not cool enough, thin enough, tall enough, rich enough, or smart enough. So affirm them every chance you get. My kids doubted my sanity at times, but never my love for them. You know, uh, sprinkled throughout the diaries of the famous... Atheist Madeline Murray O'Hare, who passed away years ago, uh, throughout her diary over and over are these words, please won't somebody somewhere love me? We all want to be loved. It's an amazing thing to be loved by a holy God, our Father. But when mom and dad love us, there there's just about nothing you can't face knowing that God and my parents love me. You never get too old to hear that. The S is to stay connected. Stay connected. Do whatever it takes to keep the lines of communication open through the years. This is going to mean asking forgiveness. We need to do that. It might even mean vacationing, perhaps. Come with us in February. uh, we're, We're leaving on a laugh again cruise, suffering for the Lord up in Nunavut. No, no, we're in the Caribbean, actually. I have yet to meet someone in a nursing home who ever regretted investing in memories. One of the rules that we have had through the years is that if you come over to our house, our kids' friends all knew this, then you just take your cell phone and you put it in a little box. We don't have the cell phone at lunchtime. We don't have it during meals. We do something, it's called talking. You know, it's FaceTime. It's actual FaceTime. Somebody's face is right there in front of you. Without anything, you can reach out and grab them if you need to. We talk. Billy Crystal, the great theologian, said this. Listen to this. It's is so cool. Make a rule. I think you get to an age where you can say these things. Make a rule. No one can use an iPad or smartphone at the dinner table. Don't be one of those families who don't talk in restaurants. You've met them, haven't you? You've seen them. They don't talk in restaurants because all the kids and parents are using a device of some kind. It's a sad sight. No one is talking. No one is smiling. There's no interaction at all. The kids text mom what they want to eat so she can email the waiter. (laughs) Giving your kid a smartphone, Billy says, is just a way to avoid being an interested parent. It's another form of pacifier. We have become a country of angry birds playing zombies who are addicted to this computer, phone, camera, butler in our hands. We have the Callaway rule in restaurants. When we're out on tour, everybody knows it. Who's part of the tour? It's the rule. You put your cell phone in the middle of the table, and the first one to pick theirs up pays for the meal. (laughs) Works every time. I encourage you to do it. How many will do this from now on? Yes, beautiful. You'll love it. (coughs) Here's the deal. Kids from families who eat together just two times a week or more, just two times a week, are dramatically different from those who don't. There's a huge study done on this. uh, There's a dramatic improvement in every single area of their lives, measurable area. There is less drug use, alcoholism, teen pregnancy. They do better in school, in marriage, in their jobs. So stay connected. Can we do this? You bet you we can. Second thing to remember is to model the behavior you want your kids to embrace. I want you to say that back to me, okay? Model the behavior you want your kids to embrace. I um, I don't know about you. Have you ever told lies as a parent? No? Okay, my parents used to lie to me routinely. Here, here are some of the lies that they told. Here's one. I point it that way. That's better. Keep doing that and your face will stay that way. Have you ever heard that one? Huh? Yeah? Look at that little kid. Man. Santa only visits good little kids. Do you hear that one? Uh-huh. We sent Rover to live at a big farm where he can run free. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. No one's going to notice that zit. Tell that to our teenagers. Mommy and Daddy are having a nap. Okay, all right. mm -hmm. The neighbor's neighbor's baby sure is beautiful. He is not. I have seen the neighbor's baby. He's not beautiful. (laughs) Well, time flies, and our kids grow up. It is startling how fast this happens. Suddenly, here's our family. They are a little bigger. Over on the right is Rachel, who, when she was 16 years of age, hung a Bible verse on her bedroom door, Psalm 56.1. Have mercy on me, O God, for men hotly pursue me. That's Rachel. And Jeffrey in the striped shirt. He came home one day, he said to my wife, he said, Mom, he said, I want to get married, but I want to bring home three girls. You have to guess which one it is. (laughs) What? So he brought, brought three beautiful women into our home. Sat them on the sofa. They began to converse with my wife. Finally, enough, Mom. Guess which one it is. She pointed right at the one in the middle. Her. How did you know? She said, because I don't like her. It's not true. We like this girl very much. But I'll tell you, you have to adapt as things are constantly changing. Suddenly, we find ourselves, we're going over to their house and doing things they used to do at our house. It's a wonderful thing. We turn lights on. Just walk all over the house (laughs) turning lights on. You know, they'll shut them off. They're paying for the electricity now. Leave taps dripping. You know, fill that tub up just because you wanted to like to open the front door, 20 below zero, and visit with neighbors. Yeah. We like to sit on their sofa late at night and neck. Sorry. Most of you don't know what, that's kissing. Kissing is what that is. Oh, kids. It's great. We've been at this parenting thing more than 30 years, and I think one of the most profound things that I have learned is that kids listen to you about that much. Hopefully, more, right? But they watch you that much. They are watching your life. What do they see? Our grandbaby Seth is 18 months old. He is watching me. Scary. He still cannot locate his mouth while eating spaghetti. But he can watch me, I'll tell you. And he can unlock my phone and swipe through the photos. (laughs) 18 months. Kids learn by watching. They're like monkeys. They learn by watching their parents. A friend loves spending time with his grandsons, but he told me this just recently. He said, <coughs> his shoulders just sagged. He said, These boys don't get much attention at home. Their parents are too busy staring at their phones. One four-year-old calls his dad's phone a stupid phone. That's what he calls it. He takes calls, the little guy says, while I'm talking to him some kids are so frustrated they are hiding their parents' phones. Psalm 78 tells us to teach our children the wisdom passed down to us. We must tell a future generation the praises of the Lord, His might, and the wonderful works He has promised. But how are they going to hear that if we're never talking to them? If we don't give them the most valuable gift in all the world, the most valuable gift we'll ever have, our time. Some of you have uh, AD, DD, DD, HDD, like I do, and so I'm going to keep this simple for the next couple of minutes. What I want to do is, is uh, give you a dozen quick parenting tips. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Number one, never loan money to anyone to whom you have given birth. <laughs> okay, that was sort of a joke, yeah, okay. But you know what? Hey, don't get into debt. This kills marriages. It kills families. If you're in debt, do what you can to get out of debt. Getting into debt is like wetting the bed. It feels good for a very short period of time. So just don't do it. Secondly, just some practical tips. Let your kids catch you being kind, friendly, even goofy with a stranger. Do, are you that way? And all of us aren't this gregarious personality. I know that. But sometimes, do, and all of us can smile. To a stranger, to the person at the gas station, the grocery store. I bought ice cream and milk at the grocery store recently, and uh, my daughter was with me. I said to the lady at checkout, uh, I'm lactose intolerant. Are these good choices? <laughs> that lady started to laugh, and you know what? She leaned over, she said to me, uh, after seven hours on my feet, man, I needed that. Our kids need to see us spreading a little joy and cheer. Thirdly, say sorry. Sorry. Say sorry to your children. Yes. Do. If I had a dollar for each time my kids heard me say sorry, we could all go out to lunch together today and and I I could order water. Uh. (laughs) But I learned to say sorry. I am sorry. I was wrong. I am still saying this sometimes to my kids because all of us are in process. Number four is to model gratitude. Model gratitude. I, I, has anyone complained? I mentioned this in the first service. Complain. Some of us do. Here are some of my favorite. Uh, th- th- these are just great. These are actual complaints. The string on my tea bag fell into the water. Say oh. I mean, come on. Th- that is tough. Isn't that tough? Oh, you have a feel for this person? My seedless watermelon has a seed in it. When I eat my potato chips, I can't hear the TV. My electric toothbrush died. Now I have to move my arm. We have so much to be grateful for this morning, don't we? Do you yell something out over here, something you're grateful for? said something, oh, you just held the baby up, yeah, amen, I'm with you, babies, cool, someone over here, living in Canada, we are so blessed, aren't we, we travel the world and I tell you, uh, yeah, pray for our our great country, someone else, rain, sorry, like, brain up here? Took me a while to get that one. (laughs) Ah, that's great. Right on. Model gratitude. Number five, tell them when things make you laugh. I saw a sign at a tire store. I called my daughter. I said, they're having a blowout sale at a tire store. Number six, shut the TV off every chance you get. Whoa. This just in, by the way, you may not know this, the guy who invented the remote control passed away three weeks ago. He was age 97. Uh, it was announced just yesterday after his wife found him behind the sofa. Uh, <coughs> let's be careful what we're watching, hey? We we have way too much access to stuff that we don't really need. So let's be careful and let's, let's read a book. I, I often read to my wife from one of my books, such a blessing to her. Number seven. Remember that the kids are not in charge. Do I get an amen here? You know, if they were, we wouldn't live very long. The planet would not last. A little guy about three came up to me and said, "Why? Why you say that? Why you say that?" I said, "Well, if we, you, how are you? If you're in charge, what what, what are we going to eat?" Oh, he was. He he just wandered off. I don't. It was. Yeah, we were. Um, yeah. I was speaking in a city, and a lady drove us to the airport afterwards, and she said, I have to tell you something. My, my uncle was in the real Canadian superstore, uh, and, and he was checking out. He had a small basket of groceries with him. They were, he set them down. You know, he was getting a little older, and so he set them down, and he heard something going on. Over here, an elderly lady was standing in line behind a grocery cart with a mother of the grocery cart and the child in it right uh, in, in front of the grocery cart. A little toddler had his feet sticking out the back, and he was kicking the elderly lady, and he wouldn't stop. And finally she said, would you have him stop? That that hurts me. And the lady turned, and she said, no, we don't parent like that. We don't tell them what to do. (laughs) Have you met this mother? (coughs) Her uncle uh, uncle is standing over, and he reaches down, and he takes a yogurt container from the basket, strips the lid off, brings it over, and turns it upside down on the little kid's head. He did. He looked at the mother and said, my mother raised me that way too. <laughs> There's probably a lawsuit going on now. <laughs> One nurse in oncology, or, or sorry, in, in Ontario, uh, She told me they have a term for this in hospitals. It's CIC. I said, what's that? She said, you were talking about the kids not being in charge, but when they come into hospitals, they can take over, and so we have a term, and it's CIC. It's child in charge on unit three. Wow. Kids are organized. They're unionized. They have one thing in mind, getting you off the planet. It ain't going to happen. We were here first. Ladies, I want you to say, I'm the mom. Yes, dads, I'm the dad. Don't make me come in there. (laughs) It's impossible to truly love our children without setting boundaries and enforcing them, without showing them that there are consequences. Number eight, your children don't always need to watch movies while you drive. Sometimes allow them to be bored in their brains, right? It's okay. I learned most of what I know now because I was bored, and I wanted to find stuff out. Brain cells grow this way, so make sure you do that. Number nine, clean the kitchen together. The best way to keep your kids out of hot water is to put some dishes in it. All right. Number ten, remember that every family faces a crisis The only way to face a crisis that makes any sense at all is together. Together. Number 11, let your kids catch you reading the Bible and praying. Amen. Every day, are we in the Word? Are we in prayer? Because we need it. And we are changed, our homes are changed when that is our default. Number 12, you can't be a real parent and never experience regret. So remember something. God says, I forgive you, I forgive you, and so forgive yourself unless your standards are higher than God's. When our kids were small, the thought hit me, when was the last time my kids saw me on my knees, and I began to pray for them every single day. I wrote this book, I used to have answers, now I have kids, and was amazed to discover when someone pointed me out in a letter, just told me, do you realize that prayer is a part of every single one of those stories? They're goofy stories with a spiritual application, 43 of them, but I had no idea because I just knew all along I needed to go to God or I was toast. Yes, the book shows how to teach them about money and sex and a lot of other stuff that my parents didn't have, but I realized Sorry about that. I don't know where that came from. It's the ADHD kicking in. I realized in writing that my default position was prayer. And that came from my mother's life. When I was just a little kid, I realized that my mother was severely depressed. And I didn't know that because no one used the term back then. I just knew that she was very sick and very sad. So I went in each day to her bedroom. I was four and did whatever it took to make her laugh. And then she got up, and she went and made breakfast or whatever meal was needed, and that was my first paying gig. But I also began to notice that my mother was being filled with joy because of the time that she spent on her knees praying, the time that she spent in the Bible. You know, my first the first time I heard my mother praying, for me specifically, I, I heard her say, Dear God, thank you, he's in bed. You know, <laughs> But she prayed for me. She disciplined me. She lived a life that left me without excuse. My mother lived so the preacher wouldn't have to lie at her funeral. How thankful I am. Model the behavior we want our kids to embrace. Thirdly, I want you to remember that even if you win the rat race, you are still a rat. Right? Suddenly, we've got all these grandkids. I've got to show you a couple pictures of them. There they are. <coughs> Two more have been added to that bunch. Uh, eight in three and a half years. It's catching on. It's just been crazy. And our daughter told me I'm going to be a mommy. Uh, she has Egyptian flu. Uh, she's going to be a mommy, and it's just great. But we love these kids, and yet, you know, i got to tell you, I hold those little children in my arms sometimes, and I say, God, is there hope? your hope do you do this? To do those with the little babies that you have? Do you bring them before God? Do you commit them to him every single day? I think as we get older, we pray so much more because so much is out of our control. So much is grandkids. I love being a grandpa. Here's basically my job description. It's to carry gummy bears. Yeah, cool. hundred percent all natural organic gummy bears, of course. Model goofiness, model godliness. That's about it. Also, when you're tired, just set the child down. Try to remember where. That's, that's a good idea. The only downside of this whole thing is that I suddenly realized I'm sleeping with a grandma. I'm at that age. It's hard to believe. Wow. Otherwise, I feel fine. <laughs> what are we leaving behind? I was about to speak at an event uh, it was a, a banquet and we were seated beside this guy and, and he just leaned over to me and he said, I have to tell you my story. I said, can you make it real quick because I'm about to speak? And he did. He, I'll abbreviate it for you as well. He said, I was one of the highest paid guys in this city. There was nothing you could name that I could not have. But not everything was well. He said, I wasn't feeling great. I went to the doctor and he did some tests and called me right back, said, you need to come. So he did, and he was ushered into the doctor's office very quickly. The doctor said, sir, I hate to be the one to tell you this, but you have inoperable cancer. I can't believe you could live more than two, three months. He was absolutely in shock. The doctor said, you need to get things in order. He left there stunned, climbed into his Mercedes, and he He drove around the city. He didn't know where to go. He knew the last place I want to go right now is home. My wife hasn't been able to stand me for years. I have been such a jerk. I have just cared about money, nothing else. Can't go to my kids. They don't really want to talk to me, and I don't even know my grandchildren's names. He drove around, thought maybe I'll go to the bar, but then he didn't want to do that, and so he went home, and his wife's car was in the drive, and he went in, and he tried to avoid her, and She looked and she said, what? what?" He couldn't hide the fact that he'd been crying for about an hour. He told her exactly what had happened, and she began to cry. And he told her, I've been such a lousy husband. I am so sorry. He said, do you think? She said, maybe, I don't know. He picked up the phone. He called his eldest child. And one by one, he told his four children, about the diagnosis, and asked their forgiveness. Each one of them said, Dad, I forgive you. He said, do you think you you could, could, could we do something? Let's take all the kids and the grandkids to Mexico for a week. And they did. He said, it was the best week of my life. We stayed at a beautiful spot. He said, I couldn't hardly sit down because my rear end was so sore from some tests. But he said, it was absolutely fantastic. I got back, I went to see the doctor, they ushered me in once again very quickly, this time the doctor was standing and he said, sir, I don't know how to tell you this, but we got the files mixed up. (laughs) He said, you're healthy as a horse. I know you're going to want to sue me, but I'm sorry. The guy went around this desk and he grabbed this doctor, didn't strangle him, hugged him. He said, sir, how could I ever sue you? The worst news I ever received in life came from you. It was the best news that could have ever come to me. Because of what you said to me, I have a relationship with my wife. I have a relationship with my children and my grandchildren. And best of all, I have a relationship with God now through his son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That doctor's jaw is still down about here. How about you? What are you leaving behind? Engraved inside our front door is Joshua twenty four fifteen. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't know where you're at, but I've got to tell you, wherever it is, it is not too late to put Christ at the very center of your life the center of your marriage, your home, all your relationships. You will discover a deep-seated joy that you did not think possible. I've experienced that joy myself. God has saved me out of so much. Years ago, 1978, I think it was, Elvis Presley died. There were 37 Elvis impersonators at the time. Today, there are more than 382,000 at the current rate By the year 2037, one out of every three people you meet will be Elvis, or he'll be an impersonator. And that will be the end of the world. Friends, we don't need more people to dress up in white suits and long sideburns. We need people who are going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Those are the kind of moms, those are the kind of dads and grandpas and grandmas that are going to leave a legacy of hope. Amen? You guys come. Years ago, when Stephen, our son, was five, we were going past the graveyard, he pointed out the window, there was a hole dug in the ground, a pile of dirt beside it. He said, Dad, look, one got out. (laughs) The more I laughed at his words, the more I hung on to them. The more I hung on to them, the more I thought about them, because that is our ultimate reason for joy, And our reason for hope in our families this morning is that one God out. Jesus Christ is risen. He's the one who's going to give you strength. All that you need to walk with him in your relationships. God bless you. Philippians 1, 9, and 10 is my prayer for you. It just says this, and this is my prayer for you. That your love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Jesus Christ.